When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, everyone. You have arrived at Characters on the Couch. I'm Jordana Horn, and I am here with my dear friend, Dr. Adam Stern. Hi there. And we're going to be chatting all about analysis of fictional people. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Characters on the Couch. I'm Jordana Horn. I'm here with Adam Stern, Dr. Adam Stern, my friend. Oh, no need to be formal. I know. No, I I do feel we need someone to have a little bit of professional credibility here since this is, (laughs) you know, in theory, a um, psychological analysis of characters of various shows. And today we have such a good one. I'm sure the copyright concerns will preclude us from using my favorite intro music of any show on the planet. Um, I would say The Sopranos is a close second, but this show today, The White Lotus, that theme music sets me up emotionally. It does something <laughs> to me where it has me all keyed up and all anxious and ready to be terrified um, and yet amused all at once, which is basically this show. This show is The White Lotus takes us to this probably phenomenally expensive tropical resort where we get our little taste of the lives of not the rich and famous, but the rich and privileged. And it's really amazing to me how this so, so perfectly encapsulates this kind of emotional predatory colonialism Mm -hmm. um, of the modern day Right. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's it's truly remarkable to see these people dropping in for a touch of authentic culture, you know, within Uh the context of their five billion count Egyptian thread, you know, cotton, whatever the lingo is, sheets and the mints on the pillows. And the whole dynamic is definitely a play where you see the tension. And I think it's actually I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say that it is perhaps one of the most well done exemplifications of the tension between staff and guests since Mm -hmm. Dirty Dancing. (laughs) Um, so I'm going to put that out there. I think that it's, um, it's hitting so many nerves for me, but I want to talk about it because we were talking about this before Adam and I, the white Lotus is a veritable psychological grab bag of, (laughs) of problems. And I would like to start 
we're going to, we talked about what lens we're going to view it through. And I wanted to say that I think that it's good to start within the context of relationships. So we'll go into a few different relationships one by one, Mm -hmm. and then pull out for a more overarching approach. Mm -hmm. And so let's begin, Adam, with Mark and Nicole. Mark and Nicole Mm -hmm. are the couple that have come to the White Lotus with their lovely daughter, Olivia, her friend, Paula, and Mm -hmm. their son, Quinn. Um, But they come Mm -hmm. and they've brought baggage more than their Louis Vuitton bags. How's that? Yeah. That was nicely done. Yeah. Yeah. So Nicole and Mark, um, if I could define their dynamic in one way, uh, in one line, it would be that Nicole is hyper successful and that that is super threatening to Mark. Um, he and cannot so, handle that. Yeah, he he completely uh, is is um, falling prey to this um, emasculating idea that that you know he's not a man if he's not providing as much for his family as as his wife Nicole is, and Nicole seems to be this super high powered uh, working. You know, she's working while she, while they're on this trip. You know, um, and so. Uh, the dynamic between the two of them is that their marriage is sort of fractured because of, I think, primarily because of this sort of uh, divide. Or is that right, how you but, saw but, it as yeah, well? Yeah, I would. But I would say that um, I want to throw in that just because you have a marriage where one spouse is appreciably more financially successful than the other spouse, that's not an automatic recipe for dissolution chaos and despair, right, Adam? Like, it is possible for those marriages to work. Yeah. In fact, I think in almost every marriage, one partner makes more money than the other, you know, and Mm -hmm. uh, it's just to a a degree. And what the show did that was sort of fascinating was they flipped the stereotype, right? So, or the, you know, the, the most historically common dynamic is 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 uh, over time has been that uh, male would the man would be the primary breadwinner and uh, that dynamic in the show in this in this couple is flipped and it just he can't handle it you know like Mark played by Steve Zahn just cannot uh, support. He, he, he finds himself troubled in that supportive role, so much so that, again, spoilers, the show's been out over a year. Uh, get with it, people, if you haven't seen it by now. It's Seriously. it's really great. But, you know, the, his sort of shining moment is when he um, saves her during a robbery and he, I think, punches out the guy that their own guest has sort of told about the expensive, mm-hmm. what, what it was, a jewelry. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he, he saves the day in this most prototypical, stereotypical male uh, macho fashion. And that gives him the, uh, you know, the masculine uh, gravitas to, to be with his wife again. Right. You it's, know? it's infuriating. But I would say that the common denominator through all of the relationships in the show is money. Um, because money is really, you would think the people who could afford this obviously like over a thousand dollar a night resort, 
Um, you know, the more simplistic view is, oh, like, what do you have to worry about? You know, every, everything's great. But in fact, the money in each of the relationships has made a tremendous problem um, and almost overshadows the other problems that they might have had anyway. Or on the flip side, the empathy and love that they might have had anyway. So I'm moving to another couple, mm-hmm. Shane and Rachel, who are on mm-hmm. their honeymoon um, at this lovely resort. And it's very clear that their financial circumstances are wildly disparate. Shane is coming from mm-hmm. an extremely affluent family. He's born into wealth. He seems to have little to no ambition other than to figure out how to best, um, <laughs> how to best enjoy the wealth is one mm-hmm. way of saying it, but that seems too happy because in fact, Shane is plagued by the fact that even though he is in a beautiful suite, he did not get <laughs> placed into the pineapple suite, which is the suite that his mother booked for them for their honeymoon. And that is such an unbelievable thorn in his side, the idea that someone out there is enjoying something that he can't have. And on the flip side, there's Rachel, who comes from, if not nothing, a more normal stratosphere of, of you know, money and mm-hmm. like where money means something where you have to earn it to all these <laughs> different things. And... It, the tension between the two of them is rooted in part in that disparity and, and in part on in the fact that uh, Shane is a jerk. But you also yeah. wonder, would Shane be as much of a jerk if he weren't fueled by all this money? Yeah, it's, I, I actually think Shane is, you know, Shane and uh, Rachel, I sort of identified with most in terms of they're maybe closest to my age. They're younger. They're certainly younger than I am. But uh, I, I was recently married. Uh, well, not that recent. She's been married for a long time by now. Uh, but it feels like I just got married. <laughs> That's nice, uh, and I remember, It's a fresh memory. That's you know, really going nice. on a honeymoon was a fr- And when my mom showed up on our honeymoon, that was a totally normal Adam, you cannot do that when I'm taking a drink of water. I just risked all of my audio equipment. Oh, oh my God. Gosh. Yeah, so so Shane and Rachel, I mean, Shane, the, the, the best part to me of Shane's uh, rigid, you know, well, they're going to give us what we paid for, what my mommy paid for. Right. Uh, the best part of that was that the, I think when they finally, like, see the suite, it's like not noticeably different. It's than, really uh, not different. Yeah. Um, right. Maybe different color of the, of the bamboo like a, wallpaper. A, a microcosm of the whole show is, is getting at like, you know, the, the, that the, the patrons of this establishment have this expectation and it's gotta be met even when it's completely absurd and not important and not, you know, and we'll just super, super briefly touch on his relationship with Armand who runs the hotel and this like rivalry they get where Armand is putting on the show of, yes, sir, of course, sir. It's, you know, and immediately as soon as he's out of earshot, just saying, you know, this guy, I'm going to figure out a way to, you know, to get around this guy and not give him what he wants. Um, Armand who runs this place is probably looking at all these patrons and, and, and judging them, you know, as he serves them, you know, in, in this most pristine, proper way. I just love that dynamic. 
Uh, I love the whole thing. And I, and I want to take it to another, um, all of the relationships in the white Lotus, whether explicitly or implicitly are transactional. Um, Mm. and here you have Tanya and Belinda. Tanya is this wealthy, extremely eccentric middle-aged woman played brilliantly as always by Jennifer Coolidge. And, she is there with her mother's ashes. She is, um, we t- we've talked recently in other podcasts about grief. She is clearly submerged beneath grief and alcohol and various, um, right. she's, got, she's got a lot going on. And Belinda is a well-meaning and genuinely caring um, person who works at the hotel and Tanya seems to take her into her confidence, seems to want to invest um, financially in Belinda's efforts to branch out and strike out on her own and to get out from under the thumb of this toxic community. But in fact, it's really all a manipulative dance of control. Yeah. And it's the most, frankly, kind of like tragic emotionally tragic because there's also other tragedy that that befalls the uh the hotel but um there this this dynamic of Belinda thinking she's about she's found her ticket this wealthy white woman is going to fund you know uh, my business plan and you know and she knows she could do it and she'd do a great job because she has the expertise and she heart she works really hard and and then it's just sort of, and she does, um, the dynamic is that Tanya sort of pushes her to uh, do a little more and a little more. And would she meet her over there instead of over here? And can you just, maybe let's talk about the business plan tomorrow instead of tonight. And and then eventually when the curtain is swept or the, the rug is swept from beneath her feet, the audience is just so, I think, as at least I was, just so sad, you know, for Belinda and all the Belindas out there that are sort of stuck in this system. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Well, speaking of stuck, I mean, how about the situation with another relationship um and it's ay 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 i'm thinking of olivia and paula and quinn so olivia and paula olivia is the daughter of mark and nicole 
And she is my greatest, not my greatest fear of what would happen to um, my daughters, but it's up there. She's extraordinarily entitled, um, supercilious and haughty and very, very scary. And she's brought her friend Paula on this vacation. Um, Paula, who is a person of color, who is clearly awed by the luxuries around her um, and simultaneously resentful of why this is inaccessible to her. She has a relationship with, she gets into a romantic entanglement with a staff member um, and she sort of tells them like, uh, these people have so much jewelry, they won't miss it, you know, come and take it. You alluded earlier to how Mark stops that. And then, you know, her erstwhile boyfriend is sent to prison. Um, so, Mm -hmm. and then in the meantime, you have Quinn, the younger brother, who's very socially awkward, Mm-hmm. has has no real place and he doesn't really quote unquote bring anything to the table so his own family has no use for him. So what do you do? I guess let's pull out and look big picture, right? You must see people in your practice and I know mm-hmm. I'm not allowed to talk about real life, so I'm going to focus it on fiction, right? How do you diagnose people who see their relationships with other people as mainly transactional? Mm-hmm. Um, what's the diagnosis there? And mm-hmm. do those people, in fact, want to be healed, as you would say? I mean, because really, as their therapist, isn't their relationship with you transactional as well? Mm. Wow. That last point just sort of made me think for a second. Uh, it's what a, I do, a, Adam. Yeah. What I no, do. Really. Um, because uh, there was um, there's a very... Uh, esteemed senior professor, you know, full professor at Harvard Medical School kind of um, person named Tom Gutile, who I, I respect and admire. He gives a talk every year to the residents and the trainees and everybody, the whole department, that's A before T, that's administration before therapy. And what that means is before you get started in the therapy, you've got to set the boundaries of the therapy. You have to define what it is, what's the relationship. It's totally transactional. Mm -hmm. I'm not your friend as your therapist. I'm your therapist as your therapist. And you're not my friend as my patient. You're my patient as my patient. So um, it's a creepy kind of weird thing that you have to do right before you try to be the nicest, most empathic, most listening, supportive person that you're capable of being. And what's what's hardest about it is you want to be therapists and patients end up it's human nature. You want to be friends with each other sometimes. Mm-hmm. You actually do want to right, make those connections. You're human beings, right? So you're able so the therapy is like, all right, we're gonna keep this dynamic within the confines of these sort of obligations in these contexts. Yeah. But anyway, so you're right. The transactional nature of relationships, though. Ah, that is a broader, more challenging thing still, because it's true of every every relationship of any depth has this element, right? So uh, my wife is an extraordinarily uh, good chef, and I am not, and she hates doing the dishes, and I hate it less, so she cooks and I do the dishes. That's That's a transaction, right? That's one thing that we've agreed on that 
probably we should mix up every once in a while. But um, you know, it's something that we we do that's transactional. It's hopefully an adaptive thing that helps us, uh, you know, like function and live happily and uh, ever after. But you know, the the transactional nature of like bringing, I don't know. I, I, you look at Quinn. Quinn's the young younger brother who mm-hmm. doesn't fit in. And sometimes you look at him and you think, oh, this, this, this kid's off, you know, like he's not fitting in. He's not enjoying anything about their, you know, he wants to literally like sleep in the closet with his video game system. Um, but then sometimes you look at him and you think he's the only one here who is uh, seeing things clearly. Yes. Yes. Um, and it's, I think it's a very, it's a very funny show because it's a very sad show. Because I think there's a real difference between the transaction of, you know, the give and take within the context of a relationship um, and what's happening at the White Lotus. But the, what, what's happening at the White Lotus is that the illusion is laid bare, right? Because when you go to the White Lotus, you are paying for this illusion that these people actually care about you, that they mm. want you to have the proverbial pineapple sweet, that they mm-hmm. want you, that their purpose in life is to make you as happy and as filled with fruity, (laughs) frosty drinks as you can possibly Mm -hmm. be. But no, that's what they're being paid for. And that is their job. And it is an illusion. It's an illusion. It's it's all an illusion. Everything from the, like, and you're fooled into a complacency um, by, you know, the natural beauty of the setting mm-hmm. and the sunsets. And they, they're all smiling and they're all, they're, you know, they th- when they're in your presence, the staff is, um, well, they seem happy doing this and we're paying good money, a lot of money for this. So it's almost like a recipe for you to not feel guilty about what is transpiring, which is right, very... But, but, but so I do know a lot of people... Um, I'm not going to name names. I do know a lot of people who do see, I think, life as a series of transactional interactions rather than making real relationships. It's more like a series of bargaining chips and what can I do for you? What can you do for Mm -hmm. me? Exchanged favors, right? And that's part of how people get ahead in, you know, an American capitalist society. Um, But they take it down to the personal level. And to me, I think that bespeaks a real pathology latent in our society. And I want to know if you share that opinion at all or what you think of that or how you would make people, how you would make people in the course of therapy see people as people rather than as stepping stones to another place. Yeah. So I think you probably see this most clearly in couples therapy, um, which by the way, can, and family therapy, these things can happen outside of romantic relationships too, right? Friendships can exist in this, in this realm too. Um, It's a challenging thing in a therapy, I think with an individual to, you might see so so uh, let me let me let me back up a little bit when you're in therapy with the individual the the patient is the person that you are responsible to uh just like the in the white lotus you know the the patron is the person you're responsible of making sure their experience is, is right and so what you do is in therapy you're hearing the patient's version of their experience so sometimes that transactional nature of the world can get 
twisted around and not relayed to the therapist in the way that it might have happened in mm-hmm. from the perspective of the other people, right? Right, right. So sometimes this is really interesting stuff for a therapist. Sometimes you might say to someone, you know, it sounds like you're really not, you, you might say to, um, let's talk about uh, Shane and uh, Rachel, the young couple where he's super wealthy and, and t- uh, just a jerk. And she is uh, young and beautiful and trying to actually have a career and do something with her life, you know, and, and he looks at that like with, like she has two heads, like, what are you talking about? You know, why would you want to work as a writer when you could, uh, you know, not do that and just live off the money we have. So in a therapy, he would describe her as, as different than she would describe herself. Right. And, and vice versa. So what you'd have to do sometimes, if you can't get the person to see the other's perspective. So uh, it's a process uh, known as mentalization, the, the ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes and think how they might be and feel and, and emote, uh, you might actually say, I think it would be really useful to have them in come in and we could all talk about it as a group. So it's not like a group therapy. The patient is still the patient, but it actually allows, A, the therapist to get some insight into what the dynamic really is and B, for you to actually do some therapeutic work where the action is, right? Where the where the disruption and the tension actually is. And so that's that would be, I think with all the couples we've gone through, that might end up happening, even if you tried to just work with one of them as opposed to, um, you know, as a, in a formal couples therapy. Who do you have, think you have the best chance of helping in this show? Uh, I, think, I think Rachel's got the best chance because she was almost there. She, right. She was, she, she sees all the problems already and she just needs to act on them, I mm-hmm. think. And, or, you know, uh, adjust, you know, again, I, I mean, I, I'm a broken record about this, but like, Rachel, what are your values? What's important? What do you care about? Uh, once you can define that, you can say, oh, I'm not living like that at all. And you mm. can make some changes. I would say uh, so, ideally, wouldn't you advise people to try to figure that out before they get married? <laughs> it's hard. easier said than done. I guess. Uh, I, guess. I mean, you know, I'm talking to somebody who I got divorced. So what do I know? Well, what do any of us know, really? It's hard, <laughs> you know, and I, I, I think that I feel like she's closest. And again, I get to this point of like Quinn, I can't, you know, I'm sorry. It's been a while since I saw the last episode. Like, did Quinn end up staying? He, he said stayed he was going to stay and he went out to, He stayed. He yeah. ran away from the airport and he stayed and he went out to sea with, uh, he's with like, those guys. He's like he's the living most the dream. well-adjusted. Yeah. I, I, of everyone on the show, he they did this masterfully, you know, where they introduced him and you're like, what's with this kid? And then you realize like he's the only one that sort of sees it. I love it. I love how they solved solved that character, you know, in, in a sense. So I don't even want to see Quinn on the couch. I just want him to enjoy this, the waves, you know. A hundred percent. And, um, you know, I think that he's also in, uh, you know, however much money any of these people pay for their personal trainers. I think we can all agree that Quinn's going to be the most buff. At the end of the day, because, you know, that rowing is no joke. That looked pretty hard. Oh, man. To live out there and do that every day, I would get pretty tired of it very quickly. But uh, that's why I'm here I think in I'd Boston. Be, you know, something I would be really fine with being the person 
sitting at the back mm. of the boat, you know, kind of on a litter, letting, Interesting. letting I, other people do it. I wouldn't mind running the little shack where they get the equipment and just sort of sitting out there on a beach chair, you know? And, and it's so uh, funny you say that. I, 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 find, I find that idea um, so bothersome. Just being rooted, rooted to that beach chair, seeing everybody else, you know, take the equipment and go and have fun, and me sitting there. I mean, am I allowed to read? So right. If you can read, yeah. If you can yeah. read, that's right. pretty great, you know? Yeah. I mean, you can do uh, – it's such a laid-back job, I think, that – all right. So from next week, we'll be doing this from Hawaii, I think, or not or Hawaii, wherever this is. I don't even know. Somewhere – I got a Pacific vibe from this Total uh, Pacific show. vibe, yes. Yeah. Yes. So, so we'll talk to you next time from the Pacific. That's okay. great. Okay. See y'all later. Thanks. Bye. Please be advised that Characters on the Couch is a show focused only on fictional people, and none of the content should be considered medical or professional advice in any way. If you or someone you know is struggling with your mental health, please seek out professional consultation. Thank you. Thanks so much. Hope to see you guys next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.